Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Ben Job, because Adam is out of pocket right now. Yes, indeed. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, the UAW has launched the largest organizing campaign in modern history. We also talked to a South Carolina nurse about the need for safe staffing. We take a look at what bosses and workers were up to in the South last week. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. That phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. And if uh, if you'd prefer just to send us a text message instead of calling in, you can do that to the same number as well, 844-899-8857, and you can leave us a voicemail throughout the week and a text message throughout the week. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. We are on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all at The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. If you want to become a sustaining donor to the program... Or make a one-time donation, you can go to tvlr.fm slash donate. You can set up a recurring donation there or a monthly or a uh, single contribution. You can also uh, go to patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport if uh, you are more familiar and prefer with that and prefer that interface. And you can also go to tvlr.fm slash store and buy our few remaining Join a Union tees. I think we've got like 15 left, so if you want one, you got to get one tvlr.fm slash store if you're a member of a union then please do think about getting your local to sponsor the show we could not do it without our union sponsors and we are um we are uh uh kicking around some ideas for expansion in the new year and guess what folks that takes money so give it to us Reach out for more details. Tell your folks to give us a Christmas present. That's tell right. Your, <laughs> tell your That's aunties and uncles. Right. And let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their authors and do not necessarily represent the organizations or sponsors of TVLR. Uh, we welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Radio. If you're in the Tennessee Valley, definitely check them out. Love to see internet radio going strong. WVNN, WZZA, WHIV in New Orleans, uh, or through your favorite podcast app. Um, and as most of y'all know, we're not media professionals. We're just uh, pro-union workers out here trying to get the word of the South and the Southern worker out to you guys. 
So, Jacob, take it away. There you go, folks. So, uh, appreciate everybody that's already tuning in. We've got about 20-some-odd people watching us on YouTube, and only five people have liked the stream. So, those are rookie numbers. Uh, only 20% of y'all that are watching us on YouTube right now have liked the stream. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the show if you haven't so that you can get notified when we drop clips throughout the week. Um, Jared, IFPTE Local 27 President, representing Rocket Science. Scientists and engineers at NASA here uh, in the chat. Good morning. Appreciate it, Jared. Vonda, president of the National Central Labor Council, says good morning. Appreciate you joining us as always, sister. Um, and don't be shy about letting us know if you've got anything you want to come on the show, uh, talk to us about. You're always welcome. Infinite Content says good morning. Appreciate uh, you joining us as always. Um, and we did get a text message uh, over the week, so I want to uh, respond to that um, before uh, we go into last week in Southern Labor, and it was just uh, just something quick. Uh, hey, fellas, Randy from local th uh, 3047 UAW in Elizabethtown, Kentucky here again. Uh, wasn't sure if you were watching the Amazon organizing drive in Northern Kentucky, uh, but here's a TikTok from those efforts, and he sent us a TikTok video, and uh, Randy! What are you doing? You got to watch the show more. We've been up, we've been updating you about the Amazon organizing drive in Northern Kentucky every single <laughs> week and last week in Southern Labor. What are you doing, man? Uh, we know about it. What's up? What what's going on there? Got to watch He's the show. He's just making sure. Apparently. Yeah, just making sure. Okay. <laughs> appreciate the uh, always uh, always appreciate the tips though. Uh, send send Come us by your and talk about it. Instead, That's right. right? Yeah, give us, yeah. Give us the scoop. That's right. We need uh, the scoops. Call in. Send us a text message throughout the week. Any tips that you get, uh, and we have added uh, uh, we have added tips to last week in Southern Labor in the past. Uh, love to get those, especially from people in organizing campaigns who can give us uh, you know week to week updates if there are any important milestones or if management is pulling any shenanigans or. Uh, anything that you think uh, you know, other folks ought to know about, tvlr.fm slash contact or send us a text message, 844-899-TVLR. Okay, Last Week in Southern Labor is a segment that we do every single week where we take a look at what the uh, workers were up to in the... Uh, southern United States and the American colonies, um, you know, workers are always on the move. We're always uh, unionizing, negotiating contracts, going on strike, um, pushing for policy and legislation that uh, helps us and opposing uh, policy and legislation that hurts us. Uh, we don't get enough love for that. So we try to do uh, something of a corrective here on the show every week. So Here's what uh, workers in the U.S. South and the American colonies were up to in the week ending on the 1st of December. In uh, new union campaigns, the UAW is launching the largest organizing campaign in modern history, targeting 150,000 workers nationwide at 13 non-union auto companies for unionization. This is huge news. We're going to spend mm -hmm. some more time on that on the other side of the break um, and dive into it a little bit. Um, Workers likely led or pushed by their employer at Sher Sherwin-Williams in Lawrenceville, Georgia, filed a petition to decertify the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, IUPAT, Local 1961, as the union representing the 37 workers there. Fourteen workers at Asplund Tree Expert Company in Lexington, Kentucky, filed for a union election with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW, Local 369. Thirty-four workers at Casey Trees in Washington, D.C., filed for a union election with the International Association of Machines. 
machinists and aerospace workers, I-A-M-A-W. Fourteen workers at Frameworks Institute in Washington, D.C. filed for a union election with IUPAT Local 1937. Seven workers at Top Drilling Company in Yawkey, West Virginia filed for a union election with the Chauffeurs, Teamsters, and Helpers Local 175. The employer filed for a union election after a majority of the ten workers at Waxwork Recording Company in Harahan, Louisiana, showed support for unionization with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters Local 270. And if you are getting deja vu about that particular filing, you aren't crazy because the same number of workers at the same company in the same city filed for a union election with the same union just last week. So... Uh, I thought that maybe what they had done is withdrawn that petition and then submitted cards to the company showing majority support, forcing the company to file for the election. But last week's filing is still an open case on the NLRB's website. Uh, last week's uh, filing was an RC petition, which is where the employees, the workers file for a union petition. And this week, is an RM petition, which is where the employer files for a union petition after they have been shown that a majority uh, of the workers say they support a union there. So... Not totally sure what's going on there. Any insight uh, would be welcome. 14 workers at Darling Ingredients in Grapeland, Texas, filed for a union election with the Teamsters Local 745. The employer filed for a union election, uh, filed a petition for a union election after a majority of the 55 workers at Ivonic Corp. Poracell Industries showed support for unionization with the United Steelworkers International Union. 30 workers at Run for Something in Washington, D.C. filed for a union election with Workers United. And four workers at High Point Cannabis in St. Louis, Missouri filed for a union election with the United Food and Commercial Workers, UFCW Local 655. In campaign updates, workers organizing at Amazon's KCVG Air Hub in Kentucky requested coats last week in 38-degree weather uh, that felt like 35 degrees and were denied because, quote, it's not below freezing. Workers just asking for so much once again. Insane. Once again. Yeah, asking for way too much. <laughs> and uh, just for the reader and listener out there, hypothermia can set in between 30 and 50 degrees. It doesn't just have to be below freezing. Uh, we had several election results last week. The petition that was filed on behalf of an individual worker by the National Right to Work Foundation, boo, to decertify the General Drivers, Warehousemen, and Helpers Local 89, a Teamsters affiliate, as the union representing the 15 employees at IMI Kentucky in Bowling Green, Kentucky, was withdrawn. Twelve workers at Delta Helix Energy in Yawkey, West Virginia, withdrew their petition for unionization with the Chauffeurs, Teamsters, and Helpers, Local 175. Ninety-two workers at International Rescue Committee in Dallas, Texas, voted in favor of unionization, 56 to 8, with the Office Office and Professional Employees International Union, OPEIU, Local 277. 58 workers at the Eastern Music Festival in Greensboro, North Carolina, voted 36 to 4 in favor of unionization with the American Federation of Musicians, Local 342. 34 workers at Rivers Portsmouth Gaming in Portsmouth, Virginia, voted 27 to 1 in favor of unionization with the Teamsters, Local 822. 40 security guards at FJC Security Services in Nashville, Tennessee, voted 14 to 2 in favor of unionization with the International Guards Union of America. Uh, 101 security guards voted for the International Guard Union of America, IGUA, in a two-way race between them and the Federal Contract Guards of America, FCGA, with the IG 
FCGUA receiving 33 votes, FCGA receiving 8, and one vote for no union at all. Workers at Cooperativa de Ahora y Credito Pepiniana, which is in English the Pepiniana Savings and Credit Cooperative, voted 7 to 1 to decertify the UFCW as the union representing the nine workers there. 39 workers at American Electric Power Company in Hurricane West Virginia voted 28 to 4 in favor of unionization with the IBEW Local 978. And 42 workers at Republic Services of Georgia in Calhoun, Georgia voted 22 to 19 in favor of unionization with the Teamsters Local 728. Several strikes and bargaining updates this week. Uh, First off, after unfruitful bargaining sessions with Anheuser-Busch last week, the Teamsters are holding a rally in Jacksonville, Florida, with International President Sean O'Brien. The AFC, AFL-CIO Staff Guild has ratified their tentative agreement by 85% after some controversy and contention. The new contract contains a 13.25% raise over four years a cost-neutral pension solution, and more. The library administration in Durham, North Carolina, is planning to extend library hours without adding any additional staff or resources. The union of the workers there, UE Local 150, claims the library is understaffed already, and this would likely mean workers being forced to work rotations of seven days in a row with no weekend off. They are asking allies to sign their petition opposing the move. Workers at Sunergo's Coffee, organized as Sunergo's Workers Union in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, with the National Conference of Firemen and Oilers and SEIU affiliate, went on strike on Black Friday, then voted to extend the strike indefinitely, and last week reached a tentative agreement with the company. The TA will go to membership for a vote next week. Uh, Rocky Mount, North Carolina, recently raised police and fire salaries, with their police officers now having the highest starting salaries in the entire state at $60,000 a year. Uh, Folks, that's more than I made starting out uh, with a bachelor's degree in mathematics. Sanitation workers for the city unionized with UE Local 150, even though the state has no collective bargaining for public employees, are calling for wage increases as well, since they were left out of the police and fire salary increases. Their starting salaries are only $40,000 a year, and they have members who have worked for the city for 25 years without making the same company that a brand new cop makes. UE Local 150 is calling for a 6% annual adjustment and a 15% raise for sanitation and maintenance workers. Amazon workers in Garner, North Carolina, organizing with Carolina Amazonians United for Solidarity and Empowerment, went on strike at RDU1 Fulfillment Center with the support of the Teamsters Union and picketers from the group that unionized in California and has been on strike for months now. The striking North Carolina workers called for, among other things, $30 an hour, safer facilities, and more due process in the discipline procedure. More than 100 registered nurses from HCA facilities across the country, the largest hospital system in the United States, held a rally on November 30th outside of HCA's West Florida Division in Tampa, Florida. National Nurses Organizing Committee and National Nurses United announced last week. Nurses say that their protest was intended to send a message to management about nurse unity and solidarity in the face of mismanagement at their hospitals across the country, and it comes in It comes ahead of a wave of union contract expirations next year. 
Had a few policy, politics, and legislation updates last week. Dial uh, dialyzer manufacturer Baxter Corporation in Alabama received $3.3 million in incentives from the city of Opelika in the state of Alabama. In exchange, it had to hire and keep at least 200 employees through last year. Now, no sooner than their obligations expired, they are laying off hundreds of workers as of 30 November and will be completely closed by the second half of 2024. Without a union contract, the employees have no guaranteed severance or layoff procedure, which is common in most union contracts. Instead, they're at the mercy of the company. Baxter states they will receive some severance, but it is unclear how much or if it will be consistently paid to all employees. They have also not indicated how the first round of layoffs will be decided. Most union contracts will say that mass layoffs uh, will be decided by seniority. Speaking of incentives, Alabama is funding with state dollars, I checked this, $30 million, a $30 million EV workforce training center in Decatur through the Education Trust Fund. According to Alabama Daily News, as conditioned for receiving the $30 million in funding, AIDT must provide a 50% discount on tickets for Alabama school-aged children to tour the facility. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what, it's a tour thing? Oh. No, it's a training center, but but children can go for fifty percent off what? on a tour. <laughs> I'm so confused by this. I'm not. Is it a tourist so, attraction or is yeah, it a training I'm center? Like, what's not going totally on? understanding exactly what it is either. Okay. And they must. <laughs> okay. And also, AIDT must not request additional state funding for a minimum of ten years. In total, the thirty million dollar represents nearly twenty seven percent of the entire Commerce Department supplemental budget of a hundred and eleven point six million dollars. The Federal Railroad Administration has recommended the rail industry beef up their preparations for and response to adverse weather events, including infrastructure assessments from freight waves and industry... Uh News outlet FRA pointed out that since the start of 2021, there have been 123 rail incidents in which severe weather conditions or weather-related events may have contributed in part or in whole to those accidents. Additionally, the UAW International Union last week became the latest and largest union to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. If we missed anything, let us know, 844-899-TVLR, that is 844-899-8857, and we can include it in next week's Last Week in Southern and Labor. Also, we had a uh, listener who uh, said, uh, just a small correction, Constantin said that West Virginia City is pronounced Hurricane, not uh, Hurricane, mm. Uh, mm. so just just getting the record straight. Hurricane. Hur okay, that's kind of that? That's kind of like uh, Fedville. Fedville, yes. <laughs> the land of feds. There you go. All right, folks. Uh, no, Fayetteville. Fayetteville. <laughs> no, I'm Fedville. just kidding. Okay. Yeah, because Alabama, because uh, Huntsville would kind of be yeah, it's definitely, the land of feds. But definitely no, I'm the talking Fayetteville about Fayetteville, Tennessee. Alabama. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to be right back, and we're going to break down this UAW campaign announcement. It's big, folks. Stay tuned. Benefit Architects has proudly supported union members and union-made products for over 35 years. If you are a federal employee and an AFGE member, you're eligible for hundreds of dollars in money-saving benefits, including group life insurance, dental insurance, and AFLAC insurance. Additionally, if you're a union member but don't work for the federal government, you can still qualify for several of these money-saving policies. 
So give Tate Hewer a call at 256-215-6769 for details and to enroll. Again, that is Tate Hewer at 256-215-6769. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. I'm attorney Tommy Senyard. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law, the name with proven results. 
Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. Ben Job filling in for Adam Keller this week. Appreciate it, Ben. Yeah, thanks for um, having me. We got a question in the chat about the Teamsters Rally in Jacksonville, Florida. It's going to be Friday, December the 8th at 10 a.m. at 111 Bush Drive, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, that's where it's going to be if you want to go. That's all we know. That's what's on the flyer. So uh, go if you're in the area and uh, take a video and send it to us if uh, if you're able. 30 people watching now. 16 likes. What is up with that? Like the stream if you are watching, please. Um, okay, so the UAW, like I said, is... Um, oh, and also, uh, good morning, Joe and Mel. Appreciate everybody uh for uh in the facebook chat for joining us i believe that i'm going to be seeing mel and joe at the labor council meeting on monday uh, if you're a union member here in north alabama you should go to the labor council meetings um they're open to the public you you and uh, uh anybody's welcome at them um so if you uh if you'd like to come to the labor council meeting then feel free um you can reach out to me for uh for details on that um and we're going to be having elections on Monday, December fourth. So, uh, so it'll be a good time to come in and see, uh, come in and hang out with us. <clears throat> um, the UAW is—they uh, have announced the largest organizing drive in modern history. And uh, Barry Eidlin mentioned on Twitter that, um, the, uh, and and Barry Eidlin is a. Uh, um, historian and and uh, former union organizer he mentioned that given the location of many of these audio auto plants being organized this is also the most serious effort to organize the u.s south since the cio's operation dixie in 1940 Dang. so this is a uh, um this is a huge huge deal enormous ramifications for um for the south for the auto industry and um and and you know another reason that that it's important is that um uh, you know despite all of the kind of popular understanding about manufacturing being outsourced and there's no manufacturing in the United States anymore manufacturing still contributed 11% of the value added to the GDP in 2022 as compared to 8.5% for education healthcare and social assistance so Still a very big part of the economy. Um, any path to labor union power in the United States is going to have to come from, uh, going to have to go through the manufacturing sector and through the U.S. South because uh, the U.S. South has been the Achilles heel of the labor movement for ages. Um, politicians have constantly uh, been using us, working people in the South, to undercut working people. Um, in other parts of the, of the United States and exploiting us and squeezing more profits out of us. And so uh, the UAW is making a big bet on uh, workers in the South and across the country saying, uh, you know, enough is enough. And uh, we're going to take 
more of the value that we're creating. So let's listen to this announcement that they put up last week. If you're an auto worker in this country, it's time to stand up. Everywhere you look in the auto industry, corporate profits are soaring and workers' wages are falling behind. We've shown the world that this industry is harming workers and consumers to the benefit of company executives and the rich. And it's time that the working class did something about it. But it's not just a big three. It's across the auto industry. CEOs are raking in billions while auto workers' real wages are falling. Car prices are through the roof, but workers can't afford to buy the vehicles they make. Wall Street is making a killing that our communities are being left behind. Tesla's set to announce their third quarter results, but that they still aim to keep annual target deliveries of 1.8 million vehicles for the full year. Rivian boosting its full year production. It's a company also second quarter revenue coming in better than the street was looking for. But what about the other automakers? Let's talk about Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, Nissan, Subaru, and Mazda. The Japanese and Korean six made nearly twice as much as the big three in the past decade. A whopping $470 billion in profits, a half a trillion dollars, with over 40% of their revenue coming from their North American operations. Don't auto workers at Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, Nissan, Subaru, and Mazda deserve a record cut of those record profits? And how about the German three? Volkswagen, BMW, and Mercedes. They've made almost the same as the Japanese and Korean companies, $460 billion in the past 10 years. Do Volkswagen, BMW, and Mercedes workers not deserve their fair share of this booming auto industry? Big three auto workers at Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis just won big raises, more job security, and cost of living adjustments for one simple reason, they're organized. Without a deal, automakers went on strike at midnight. With targeted strikes at three facilities, a Ford plant in Michigan, a GM plant in Missouri, and an Ohio plant for Chrysler owner Stellantis. The UAW was underestimated the whole way because when the game was over, it, it was just a real beatdown. The workers, the workers win. To all the auto workers out there working without the benefits of a union, now it's your turn. Since we began our stand-up strike, the response from auto workers at non-union companies has been overwhelming. Workers across the country, from the West to the Midwest, and especially in the South, are reaching out to join our movement and to join the UAW. So go to uaw.org join. The money is there, the time is right, and the answer is simple. You don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. You don't have to worry about how you're going to pay your rent or feed your family while the company makes billions. A better life is out there. It starts with you, UAW. All right, so there it is, folks. UAW.org slash join is uh, where... And, and so with that announcement, they have dropped cards in every single non-union auto plant in the country, more or less. Um, and so if you are a non-union automaker anywhere, you can go to uaw.org slash join. And what comes up is a list of 13 non-union automakers. That Those are the uh, non-union automakers that they are um, 
that they are uh, targeting. And so you scroll down. Uh, it's like an alphabetical order looks like. No, not quite alphabetical order. Um, but scroll down, find the company that you work for, and you can st uh, stand up and sign your union card. And at, in each section where it has cards for each non-union auto company, it gives you a breakdown of uh, some important statistics and stuff. And, you know, so relevant for, for Huntsville, where we have a Toyota Mazda plant, Toyota la in the last 10 years has made a quarter trillion dollars in profits over the past decade. $250 billion in profit, not revenue, profit. Profits are up 30%. CEO pay is up 125%. Meanwhile, Toyota has just offered a 9% raise to convince Toyota workers not to organize. So the UAW says it's time for Toyota workers to stand up and fight for more. And it's the literal, the first one. So if you're in Huntsville, uaw.org slash join. That's the first company on the list. You can sign your card, um, and that says, you know, you want the UIW to be your union, and it'll give your information to the UIW. They'll be able to reach out to you for more. Um, but, yeah, uh, uh, really, really, um, really important stuff, and I have been heartened by um, folks in the area saying that they were going to send this um, – they were going to send this uh, uh, this announcement to people that they knew that worked at, at Toyota here in Huntsville. And uh, the reply came back from this person, oh, yeah, I've already signed my union card. <laughs> and so, nice. have, uh, so have all of my other coworkers. So, uh, so yeah, we're way ahead of you, buddy. We've, we've already signed cards. So, um, yeah, I mean, a hugely consequential announcement. Obviously, this is going to be good for Toyota workers here in the area and non-union auto workers across the country. And um, if you're a Toyota worker, if you're a Toyota worker here in Huntsville, you're listening to the program, I would love to hear from you. 844-899-8857 is the phone number. And if you call in also, and you're a Toyota worker, also send us a text message saying, hey, this is my phone number. I'm a Toyota worker here in Huntsville, and I want to talk. Um, that way we can... Uh, uh, we can make sure to get to you because sometimes we don't have time for calls, but uh, but we would we would uh, there's there there are other times where we want to make sure that we're able to get to certain certain people or, or certain groups of people uh, that that are relevant um, that we think that our audience would would like to hear from. So Toyota workers here in Huntsville eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven is the phone number eight four four eight nine nine TBLR. But um, one thing that a lot of folks will notice about this campaign is that it's a lot different from kind of the the standard operating procedure over the last 10, 20, 30 years of union campaigns, which is slow, methodical, don't go public until you've hit like 60, 70 percent of people in the plant already signed cards because you don't want to draw attention to yourself before your organizing committee is ready and has inoculated a bunch of people. And this organizing campaign is, is not that, right? They have just announced to every non-union automaker in the country, we are coming for you. We're coming from you. We're coming for you, and we're not hiding it. Um, we want your workers to sign cards today. That's what, uh, that's what we're looking for. And so uh, uh, the reason for that, and Barry Eidlin has a great Twitter thread on this, 
um, really kind of laying it out in, in a very eloquent manner. The central hypothesis, and this is Barry talking, which is now going to be tested in practice, is that workers across the auto industry have been galvanized by the UAW's stand-up strike at the Big Three and are now ready to organize. So, rather than go about this, the kind of traditional, slow, methodical, one plant at a time in secret, patiently building up a campaign there, the union sees its job today as amplifying a wave that is already in motion. That means broadcasting the message that the union is ready to fight and inviting non-union auto workers across the country to join them. And so, you know, that's the gamble that they're taking, and we're going to see if it's going to pay off. I'm very hopeful that it will pay off. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I'm very hopeful that it will. Um, and so we'll, we'll obviously see. Luis Leon, friend of the show, staff writer for Labor Notes, he, um, I think... Uh, undoubtedly, it's just, I don't, I don't, it's so good. I don't think it's really debatable that Luis wrote the definitive article on the announcement. So you can read his article at labornotes.org. The title of the article is Auto Workers Direct Momentum Toward Organizing Plants Across the U.S. by Luis Felice Leon. He, uh, it's a, and, and the reason that it's a definitive, the definitive article, in my mind, is that no other article that I've read includes so many voices of non-union auto workers. Um, th th there's just no other article out there that, that, that you will hear from, from as many non-union auto workers. It's really amazing the work that Luis has been able to put in and the information and the testimony that he's been able to put in this article. It's really great. And so I'm going to read a little bit from it. Um, he says that at Rivian's electric plant in Bloomington, Illinois. Oh, and, and, and before we get to those testimonies, I want to highlight that, that there's already movement, right? There's already campaigns catching fire even before the announcement was made official. So at Rivian's electric plant in Bloomington, Illinois, workers have already built an organizing committee and surveyed a thousand of their co-workers on major job improvements and run petitions demanding longer breaks. There are about 5,000 workers at this plant. And uh, local news in Kentucky have reported that according to the union, one of the strongest campaigns in the country is at Toyota's Georgetown, Kentucky Assembly Complex, where 7,800 workers uh, make the company's iconic Camry and highly profitable RAV4 and Lexus ES. Um, so, uh, uh, so lots of, um, I mean, there, there's there's lots of movement already, and the announcement was just made official. And so, the plan is, according to Luis in Labor Notes, officially, once 30% of workers at any given plant have signed union cars. Workers there will go public with their campaign, right? So the, the broad campaign is public, but at each plant, once 30% have signed cards, then that committee is going to go public, say, hey, we're public here. We've got a campaign here and we're, we're making moves. And some plants have already met that threshold, according to the UAW. Um, and so we, can, we could potentially um, uh, uh, um, induce that the um that the Tesla Fremont California plant has already met that mark because they have gone public and said there's an organizing committee here we're forming a union um and that would be huge because that plant employs 20,000 people so if they've already got 30% of the card signed at that plant that is enormous 
At the 50% mark, workers are going to rally their coworkers, families, and neighbors, and community leaders. And then as soon as 70% of the workers at a given car- at a given plant sign cards and have a committee made up of workers from every shift and job classification, they will demand voluntary recognition of their union. And if the company refuses, the workers will file for an election with the National Labor Relations Board. So that's kind of um, evidence that it's already taken off um, and some of the plan going forward. And now we'll get to some of the worker testimony um, that, that is so, so important when looking at this campaign. So at Rivian, Williams said, uh, this is a, a Rivian worker in, in Illinois, R- uh, Williams said that workers' main workplace concerns revolve around safety and time off. Injuries include a crushed hand, a broken foot, a sliced ear, and broken ribs, according to complaints filed with OSHA. Workers attribute these injuries to the breakneck pace of production. And there's worse to come. Just this month, the company raised its production forecast for the full year by 2,000 vehicles to 54,000 units. In 2022, workers often put in 12-hour days, seven days a week. But Williams said the company changed its schedule to 12-hour shifts, four days a week, in anticipation of Illinois' one-day rest in seven act, where an employee is entitled to at least one day off in any consecutive seven-day period. That law went into effect January 2023. So that's, you know... So we're back to fighting for uh, a weekend right. for these guys. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's that's a really and, – and that shows the importance of having, you know, um, a legislature that, that doesn't hate you and that doesn't want you uh, ground into powder like so many Republicans do. So um, Rivian has found other ways to monopolize workers' time, including reducing their sick hours from 80 per year, 80 sick hours a year, which is like <laughs> – Jeez. Two weeks, like on a twelve-hour okay. shift. Do they count the whole twelve? Yeah, like, what's going I mean on that's there? crazy. You get eighty hours, so that's even if you, if you just get, if you get a full forty-hour work week there, you get max two weeks off. If they count the twelve hours, you know you were scheduled for a twelve-hour <laughs> shift, and then you the you know that eighty hours is going to run out really quick, right? Okay, so um, they cut that in half to forty hours a year in January 2023. That's insane. Meanwhile, salaried employees have unlimited paid vacations, according to a screenshot shared with Labor Notes. Workers have also filed complaints with OSHA over lack of fire exits. Insane. At Hyundai in Montgomery, Alabama, a 12-year team member, Gilbert Brooks, has had an or- has had organizing a union on his mind since he was hired. He had been a member of the Steelworkers for 11 years at the Goodyear Tire Factory in Anniston. And at Hyundai, 3,500 hourly, temporary, and contract employees assembled the Santa Fe, Tucson, and Santa Cruz, the Genesis GV70, and the electrified GV70. We build 1,500 cars a day and 500 cars a, sh- cars a shift. That's pretty crazy. When measured by the speed of cars produced, this is the second most productive plant in the world. That high productivity, he says, should be rewarded with higher wages. Absolutely. He earns 28 an hour, which will go up to 30 an hour in January after the promised wage hack, wage hike. That's after 11 years at the company, right? The company is also offering a $4,000 bonus. New hires start at around 19 an hour. That is not much. Over the past three years, Hyundai's profits have soared 75% while its vehicle prices rose 32%. We are underpaid and overworked, Brooks said. His point of comparison is what his ex-wife will earn at GM's Spring Hill plant in Tennessee. She'll go from 25 an hour to 35 an hour right away under the new UAW contract at GM. 
But the main sticking points are safety and respect on the job. He said the company forces workers to do jobs that really require two people and changes work rules on a whim. And the result is injuries. Um, so he talks about some of the injuries that he's had and how at in 2014, when they first tried to unionize this plant, the company didn't even offer light duty for injured workers. <laughs> but once word spread around the plant that a unionization campaign was afoot, Hyundai used a mix of carrots and sticks to beat back the union drive, including offering light duty and bonuses. I mean, that's offering light duty is such a like, I mean, that's actually law. Like, that's a reasonable accommodation. You have to do that. And so the fact that they weren't doing that is pretty bonkers. Um, hmm. Love to move them goalposts yeah, really, a little bit really, further. Yeah, just so gross. Uh, there's t testimony from uh, Mercedes-Benz in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, um, talking about how Alabama gave $300 million in tax breaks to Mercedes-Benz. Um, and that, uh, quoting from a New York Times article, saying that that is 18 times what Tennessee paid for a Nissan plant in 1980. This was in 1996. We gave him $300 million in 1996. That's 18 times what Tennessee paid for a Nissan plant in 1980, more than seven times what Tennessee paid for a General Motors Saturn plant in 1985, four times what Kentucky paid for a Toyota plant in 1985, and three times what South Carolina paid for a BMW plant in 1992. Really crazy, crazy stuff. And so um, I love seeing those workers' testimony from Luis's article, really important. And um, the uh, uh, so this is, this is really, a, um, you know, really a big deal. Hopefully, um, you know, this this may be kind of the signal that the fortress unionism, as uh, Yeselson uh, coined it, is coming to an end and the time is is to come out of our, our fortress. And his thesis in, in the essay, Fortress Unionism, was basically at the time, like a decade or two ago, um, you know, look, we're in a period where we can't organize on a mass scale. The momentum, the material conditions are just not there. And so the job of the labor movement is to do fortress unionism, is to huddle inside our castles, protect it at all costs, do everything we can to protect the gains that we've made, and be ready for when workers say they want to organize. And so um, that's kind of what unions ended up doing over the last 30 years. And, oh, and, and we've talked to Chris Boehner about how... Um, the, there has the, the, we are the most wealthy labor movement in the history of the world. We have more money at our disposal than any other labor movement in the history of the world. And so if we want to take fortress unionism seriously, it's like, well, this is the time to come out of the fortress, I think, and make an attack. So uaw.org slash join if you're a non-union non auto worker, uaw.org slash join. Really big stuff here. Um, Looking at the chat, and then we'll go to our, uh, and then we'll go to our guest. We got our guest in the Zoom, um, but uh, appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. Uh, we've got uh, almost fifty people watching us. Twenty six people have liked the stream. If you haven't liked the stream, then do that if you can. Um, there's uh, s um, some conversation about the uh, Swedish unions trying to shut down Tesla with impunity. Uh, they live in a country that values workers, so there's always complete impunity for strikes and strikers. Yeah, that's really uh, that's really important and we have talked about that and we I, i've reached out some to some journalists in sweden and norway to try to get them to come on the show and talk to us about that uh, and give us some more detail but you can go uh, check out our videos and, and see us talking about that a couple of weeks ago uh ethan says good morning mark says uh good morning quirky geek girl good morning appreciate everybody on uh the stream tuning in and uh saying hello okay so 
I said that we've got a uh, nurse on the line uh, from South Carolina. Her name is Hannah Drummond, uh, RN, in the emergency room at Mission Hospital in Asheville, North Carolina. North Carolina, not South Carolina. I apologize, Hannah. Um, working at Mission Hospital in Asheville, North Carolina. She is the chief nurse representative for her shop for National Nurses United, the union there. Uh, Hannah, welcome to the program. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, really excited to have you. So last week we got... Um, we got the press release about the rally in uh, in Tampa, Florida. I'm not sure if you were one of the ones at the rally, but but um, uh, Lucy said that, that you would be uh, definitely one that would be good to talk about the issues at hand. And so, you know, can you just talk to us about uh, why y'all went down to Tampa, Florida? What was, uh, you know, uh, why Tampa? Why in Florida? What's the deal with that? And, and what was the message you were trying to send? Yeah, so I actually was one of the nurses at the rally, um, and we got together with nurses from all across the country. So my hospital is owned by Hospital Corporation of America, HGA, for those who aren't familiar, and they have a lot of hospitals in West Florida. Um, so we are gearing up for our contract campaign coming into 2024, and I think something that's really unique about nurses is that our working conditions really affect the health and well-being of our communities. Mm. And in HGA specifically, we're seeing a manufactured staffing crisis. We're seeing a willful under-resourcing of staff, whether it be nurses, um, you know, EBS workers, phlebotomists, techs, to maximize their profits and really prioritize their shareholders over patients and human lives. Um, so we all took time out of our weeks on our days off to get down to Tampa, Florida in front of the regional headquarters and let them know that we're here and we're ready to fight. And we are once again calling on them to put patients first. One of the big things that 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 y'all are um, wanting to uh, uh, attack in this cycle of contract negotiations is staffing levels. And this has been a really... Mm -hmm. Um, a theme across, um, you know, across a lot of these nurses unions and during contract campaigns, the Robert, Roberts Wood Johnson Hospital in New Jersey, they actually, I think this morning it was, just reached a tentative agreement. Um, and, and the union says that they've agreed to uh, uh, some safe staffing levels. That's what the strike was over. They were, they've been on strike for months now over safe staffing levels. And that's, you know, a super, you know, just to underscore for the audience, right? When nurses go on strike, it has historically not been about pay or salary, right? It's been about, no. we just want enough people so that we can take care of people. Talk to, what is the risk to me as a patient if you don't have safe staffing levels? I mean, starting out from the top down, death is the first risk. Right. If there's not enough people, like death is never not on the table when they put us in these situations. But it also means like your mom might not be able to get up and go to the bathroom and I can't go help her go to the bathroom. So then she goes in the bed. Um, you know, in my hospital and our ER, it means that you could be stuck in a hallway bed for days. Mm. Um, it could mean that your meds are late. It could mean that you have a longer hospital stay. You're at a higher risk for, you know, hospital related infections and just all kinds of worse outcomes. Um, and, and we know this because when California and the work of California Nurses Association, which is under, you know, 
the same umbrella as us with National Nurses United, their union pushed to get safe staffing written into their legislation. And when you look at their patient outcomes, they're better than anywhere else in the country. When you look at their turnover levels and their retention levels, they're better than anywhere else in the country. Right. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that California law? Because um, I listened to, and I wasn't able, I meant to um, re-listen to it uh, before before the show today, but I, I just, I didn't have time. Um, but a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, Bernie Sanders uh, held a, uh, a hearing on nurse staffing levels uh, under the uh, U.S. Senate's Health Education and Labor Committee and, and had a lot of uh, several nurses from across the country, including California Nurses Association, talking about this. And and I can't remember exactly what the law required, and maybe you can fill that in, but the law basically said, uh, you know, look, you have to have X amount of nurses per patient and that mm-hmm. has resulted in, like you mentioned, uh, you know, nurse retention, but also uh, better care for the patients, right? Can you get, is there any numbers that you can give us for that? Yeah. So I think the most accessible level there is when we talk about like a medical surgical unit, when we use that word, that's kind of like the normal ward or floor that everybody thinks of in the mm-hmm. hospital. That's the most stable patients that are, that are in the hospital may have a shorter stay. In California, the law is that that nurse has no more than four patients. So when that nurse goes above those four patients, the risk of patient death increases by 7%. And that's just within the most stable, least sick patients in the hospital. Um, And what that means is that nurse is being given the ample amount of resources to care for their patient. They're not spread thin. Um, You know, sometimes in my hospital in North Carolina, they've tried to give upwards of six or seven patients to that nurse on the same kind of floor. So you're upping the risk of death to 21%, but you're also, you know, if you have six patients over a 12 hour shift and then over the course of an hour, that gives you like five minutes per patient. Mm, How are you right. supposed to get everything done? You need to get done with five minutes per patient. Right. Um, yeah. And and those numbers, I think, really make it real. Right. Yeah, I don't want to jump in. I don't know if people know this. I'm also a nurse, so thank you for your service, by the way. But, uh, uh, yeah, and I had no idea that was even a law in some place, but that it makes total sense because where I work in an Alabama hospital, yeah, four nurses can have eight nine patients at a time and now with covid numbers and flu surges Mm. you got uh hall beds for er and they're kind of transferring those into hall beds for patients so it's like it's you can't you can't have three to one four to one caseloads and expect people to even physically be there in time and and I, I, Hannah, I wanted to uh, give you a couple other things about about Alabama, and and you can tell me how. Um, and, and then I, I'm interested in, in hearing what what are some of the, uh, you know, so four to one sounds kind of like the recommendation. That's what um, that's what you said the California law is. Um, so I, I'd be interested in, in hearing what if, if you if you're able to 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 figure out what the average 
um, nurse to patient ratio is across HCA systems. I know that I'm sure it varies because like you said, it's the largest hospital corporation in the country, which is, you know, I don't know if that's a, if it's a good thing to have hospital corporations, you know, maybe that's something that we could talk about at a later time. But. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's not the short, short answer. Is okay. It's not. There you go. So, uh, okay. But, uh, so here in Alabama, this is according to the Alabama Board of Nursing. A total of 38,727 experienced nurses in Alabama indicated that they intend, not that they have thought about, they intend to leave the profession within five years. Shared during a recent meeting of the Legislative Healthcare Task Force, the survey also revealed that based on current trends, nurse vacancies in the state could grow to as high as 14,000 by 2027, nearly double the current nurse shortage of 7,200. As nurses in Alabama are the second lowest median salary in the nation at $56,000, ahead only of uh, South Dakota's $55,000, many have taken on second jobs, further contributing to burnout and eventual retirement. Of the 84,779 Alabama nurses that participated in the survey, roughly 58,000 of them have indicated they have a second job, 37,000 of which spend at least 32 hours at that second job. So... I'm interested in your reaction to that and then um, the uh, staffing levels at at some of those hospitals. And then, um, you know, the uh, uh, if that is something that you're seeing across the country at these hospital locations as well, nurses having to get second jobs because they don't have enough money to make ends meet. Yeah, I would say that's not a unique experience, especially in less unionized areas. Um, but I really get a visceral reaction when folks use the word shortage and you know our states and our governing bodies use this word shortage we have more nurses coming out of nursing school than we ever have in the history of the united states we have over five million registered nurses with a license in this country over one million of them are not working as a nurse at all anymore and it all roots back to this uninhabitable morally distressing, morally injuring work environment. When we see human lives and human beings not being valued, that weighs on you. We take that home with us. We got into this profession to help people. And, you know, when I hear that 38,000 nurses in Alabama have an intent to leave the profession, there's no shortage there. That's 38,000 people right. who have a license. So that's once again, a manufactured crisis. And like you said earlier, you know, when we go on strike, it's, it's, it's not about money. It's always about patient safety. And I think if we saw similar legislation, and when I mentioned those ratios earlier, you know, that four to one is just the most stable patients. Mm. Those ratios get less and less and less the sicker your patients are. Right. Um, how many more people would stay in their profession if they weren't put in these difficult situations every single day where we walk out and we feel like, oh my gosh, my patients didn't get the care they deserved. Uh, when it comes to HEA staffing, um, you know, it's, it's apples and oranges with the union HCA hospitals versus the non-union HCA hospitals. They've tried to give my nurses here in North Carolina, you know, 10 or more patients and we're, we've been able to fight back. We're still not where we should be. We're often six to one, but we see our counterparts in Florida who are not union that are taking 13 patients 
that on the step down floor where you should be one to three, you're taking six or seven or eight. Um, I just talked with nurses from Colorado at an HCA facility that are saying it's normal in the ICU to have four patients. The recommendation in ICU is two to one or sometimes even one to one, and they're taking four. Wow. Wow. That's, um, I mean, that, that's uh, horrifying, you know, as <laughs> that's horrifying as somebody. So my, my grandmother has had a stroke over the last few months and now she's requiring, you know, 24 seven care and, and, the, and, and she's back home and the family's basically providing that care for her. We're taking shifts and stuff. My grandfather uh, just had an incident where he had to go to the hospital. So I'm anticipating, you know, a lot of hospital visits in the near future, you know, with my grandparents and the help that they're in right now. And that is, you know, that's horrifying to hear. Um, and, you know, that my, my guess is just going to be that it's, it, you know, especially given what I just told you about Alabama's, you know, uh, the, the way that our nurses are treated here. I don't figure it's any better <laughs> here in the hospitals in Alabama. So, you know, that that's, very, very scary to me as a as a you know a member of the community, somebody who has family members who are going to go to the hospital, who've been to the hospital, and who um you know I've been to the hospital before. I have you know anaphylactic allergies and stuff, and I've had to go in in the last few years uh, for for allergic reactions, and that's just uh, that's very very scary. And so, what are um uh so what is the union proposing to address this in these contracts, and when do they expire? So um, they, we expire over different timelines next year. My hospital is the last one to expire on July 2nd. Uh, you know, we haven't sat down at the negotiating table yet, so um, I can't speak to specific um, proposals that we have. But what I can speak to is that my hospital, when we started our first negotiations with our contract, and we're we're a brand new union. We just won our election in 2020. We just ratified our first contract in 2021. Um, we we thought that the staffing that they proposed from the hospital when we got our union was pretty good. And what we asked was that the hospital uphold their own proposed staffing grids on our units. And what I've seen them do is violate that at every turn they can and then tout this nursing shortage as the reason why, but yet I see them invest in short-term solutions with travelers. Mm. I have seen, you know, some years in multiple departments that I've worked at this hospital, over 70% turnover. Yeah. Wow. 70% turnover. Um, mm. and, yeah, and so well, just what we would like to see... If we could, if we could pull out and 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 sit on that tangent for a second about the travel nurses, which is not to, you know, I don't think anybody is going to say travel nurse is bad unless you're like scabbing. Okay, that's that's a different, you know, that's not good to scab. <laughs> yeah. But you yeah. know, just travel nursing yeah. in general, no condemnation there. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 how does that feel as a nurse there? at these locations where travel nurses are coming in making, I, I know a travel nurse. I am like very close to a travel nurse who is now settled down in California uh, in a union hospital, right? <laughs> She's making a lot of money, um, but she did travel nurse and she was at some places making a hundred dollars more, a uh, uh, hundred dollars more an hour mm-hmm. than her counterparts. Right. And so why not 
<laughs> instead of paying three or four times <laughs> for one person, why not pay the salary of two or three or four people and keep them there? What's the deal with that? The math ain't mathin', right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's... we've asked that question, but I know like in my hospital, if you have a traveler instead of a bargaining unit nurse, then they're not going to push back in the same way. And like, especially HGA, they love to have temporary workers. They love to have new nurses because new nurses don't know anything different in the working environments they're in and temporary work workers as hard are as you temporarily. Need to. You can throw all sorts of rules on them and they're getting yeah. yep and they're getting paid and then they'll leave and mm -hmm. you know just to really pick on this corporation that's in charge of the most hospitals in the country that's also the richest healthcare corporation in the world wait a second now hannah so you're shows... telling me that they're not sharing the pain with you as a family right you're having to work all these shifts and take on all these patients surely they're sacrificing and they're not taking any any you know any additional profits or giving their ceos raises or anything that would be seems like strange because they're family with you they've right? they've seen record-breaking profits every quarter since the pandemic hit wow i believe it's 5.6 billion already this year wow well and i could speak and on that's like, like from their own numbers and we've had like, I don't know, 10 or 12 people just in my unit over the last year or two, especially after COVID, leaving for travel jobs. Because mm -hmm. when you're the second worst paying place right. in the in the country and they'll be traveling two hours or something, it's not even like they're going right. to very far. But and these are, you know, this is a system that's within our state and they're still outsourcing for for whatever reason. It's it's absurd. Yeah, well, and you mentioned that about how travel nurses are less likely to push back. That's such an important point. Mm -hmm. And my friend actually told me about this, right? You know, she said, look, if I go to a hospital that that's, you know, treating me badly, I'll just put up with it for my assignment and then I'm gone, right? You know, and, yeah. and because... Yeah. And there's a really great investigation in these times, the big business behind travel nursing by Alice Herman. I don't know if you've read this, Hannah, but but I, I you know, it's something that, that may interest you. Um, but it, it talked about how there had been how she talked to some people who had pushed back as a travel nurse who then stopped getting calls for to be nurses in different places. Right. So yeah. there's, you know, yeah. E yeah. even like perversely, as they're making all this money, they're kind of the most precarious. Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally true. And, you know, I think it speaks back to the bigger issue of why collectivism is important. Mm. And don't get me wrong, I'm thankful to have extra people in the door to help take care of my patients, because in the interim, we need people with skills to save lives, especially, you know, my emergency department services 19 counties in Western North Carolina. Mm. That's so, so important. But you're putting yourself on an island as right. a traveler, whether you're in a union facility or not in a union facility. And, you know, I think part of the reason we're all here today on this show is because we want good rights and good wages and good work environments for all workers, regardless of your trade. And we want to see these corporate honchos be held accountable and not be raking in on these profits while we have people getting injured and people suffering and people dying on the job. Right. 
Um, so y'all are going to be pushing for safer staffing levels uh, in your contract negotiations across HCA in 2024. Um, we will keep an eye on it. Um, feel free to reach out if you ever, uh, um, if there's ever anything that, that you think our audience ought to know about. Um, and happy to have you on again. You've been been great to talk to, Hannah. I, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you think um, that, that right now you, you'd want to make sure that our audience knows before we let you go? I would just say if you have nurses in Alabama who want to have the good things that my union hospital has, reach out to the National Nurses Organizing Committee. We're ready and fighting already in the South, and we got your back. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Hannah. All right. Hannah Drummond, uh, RN in the emergency room at Mission Hospital in Asheville, North Carolina, chief nurse representative in her shop for the National Nurses United. Um, really appreciated her time. Uh, really uh, great, great interview. Really enjoyed that. Um, uh, so with that, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to be right back. We're going to uh, we're going to talk about what uh, bosses were up to in the South last week. Don't go anywhere. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. .org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 7452. 
Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior'd Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior'd Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior'd Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior'd Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior'd Law. The name with proven results. As labor union members, we face our share of challenges in the workplace. But today, I want to talk about a different kind of challenge, the climate crisis. We've all seen the fury of Mother Nature, the storms that can turn lives upside down in an instant. That's why Hometown Action is launching our Climate Protection Project. We're heading out to 10 rural communities, listening to local folks, and taking action with them to protect communities impacted by climate disasters. And we need you, our union brothers and sisters, to join us. Together, we'll make a difference. Our strength on the job is undeniable, and now it's time to put that strength to work for the planet. Let's protect our communities, our families, and our future. Visit hometownaction.org today and sign up to volunteer for the Climate Protection Campus. Union Talk Radio Show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host Ben Job. as Adam is out of town this week. Uh, appreciate you tuning in. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857 if you would like to give us a call or send us a text message. You are free to do so. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Like the stream if you haven't. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you're listening there. Let's go ahead and get to Boss Watch because bosses are all the time breaking the law. Despite that, you only ever see mugshots of working people on your local news. Working people who engaged in various criminal activities, uh as low as petty theft or trespassing. You might see their mugshot. What is going on? Do you hear that, man? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm just getting the, the YouTube stream cut out for a second. I'm trying to get oh. it set back up. Whoops. Okay. We're still rolling, though. Do your thing. Cool, cool. Yeah, so um, so uh, you're going to see the uh, mugshots of working people on the local news all the time, but not the mugshots of bosses. So we want to provide a corrective to that. So here are a couple of highlights of the illegal activities of Southern of bosses in the Southern United States and the American colonies for the week ending on December 
the first. Over in Florida, a federal workplace safety investigation found a South Bay Correctional and Rehabilitation Facility failed to follow recognized safety procedures, leaving employees vulnerable to violent attacks and injuries, including one worker who a patient reportedly struck in the face with a rock. The U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration began an investigation into the incident after GEO Group uh, Incorporated, which operates as South Bay Correctional and Rehabilitation Facility, a private prison, another thing that we should not have, private prison corporations, not a good thing for society, <clears throat> reported the workers' hospitalization two days after the incident occurred, which is a violation of OSHA's rule requiring employers to report an inpatient hospitalization of an employee within 24 hours. Agency investigators learned an inmate violently attacked a nurse with a rock enclosed in his fist as the nurse held the medical waiting room door open for a wheelchair-bound inmate. As a result of the attack, the nurse suffered a broken nasal bone and cuts on her forehead. OSHA cited GEO Group for a serious violation for failing to provide a workplace free from recognized safety and health uh, hazards including inmates' physical assaults, which caused or were likely to cause serious physical harm. The agency also issued a citation for other than serious violation of not reporting workplace incident leading to an employee's hospitalization within 24 hours as required. OSHA assessed about $27,000 in proposed penalties for the facility's operator. The, uh, and then just some background here. The Centers of Disease for Disease Control and Prevention estimate the rate of non-fatal assault on hospital workers at 8.3 per 10,000 workers, significantly higher than the rate of 2 per 10,000 workers in all private sector industries. <clears throat> wow. From December 20, 2013 to January 1, 2017, the GEO Group Incorporated entered into a corporate-wide settlement regarding workplace violence hazards with OSHA, requiring the company to develop a violence prevention and safety program that involved training employees and creating a workplace safety committee to address violence and patterns in its facility. The GEO Group Incorporated operates 102 facilities with a workforce of 7,500 employees nationwide. And the South Bay Correctional and Rehabilitation is a 2,000-bed uh, institution that houses adult males with custody levels ranging from minimum to maximum security with 357 employees who care for them. And the company has 15 business days from the receipt of the citation and penalties to comply, request an informal conference with OSHA, or contest the findings. Uh, in the coal mining industry... The U.S. Department of Labor announced today that its mine safety uh, yesterday that its mine safety and health administration completed impact inspections at 13 mines in 10 states in October 2023, issuing over 200 violations. MSHA began impact inspections after an April 2010 explosion in West Virginia at the Upper Big Branch Mine that killed 29 miners. To date, impact inspections in 2023 have, have identified over 2,300 violations, including over 600 significant and substantial and 46 unwarrantable failure findings. A significant and substantial violation is one reasonably likely to cause a reasonably serious injury or illness. Violations designated as unwarrantable failures occur when an inspector finds aggravated conduct that constitutes more than ordinary negligence. 
The agency uh, conducts impact inspections at mines that merit increased agency attention and enforcement due to poor compliance history, previous accidents, injuries and illnesses, and other compliance concerns. Of the 215 violations that MSHA identified in October, 50 were identified as serious and significant. And six had unwarrantable failure findings. The agency completed October's inspections at mines in Alabama, Colorado, Illinois, Kentucky, Michigan, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Utah, Virginia, and West Virginia. The October 2023 impact inspections show miners' safety and health continues to be put at risk in ways that are completely preventable, said Assistant Secretary for Mine Safety and Health Chris Williamson. We remain troubled and concerned with the continued trend in our impact inspections. This trend includes inspectors finding violations that put miners' lives at risk, such as float coal dust, improper fall protection, and a lack of adequate workplace examinations. The Longview Mine in Volga, West Virginia, was among the mines that MSHA inspected in October. Selected given its history of accidents and inadequate examinations, the mine is operated by Century Mining LLC. The inspection found at this one mine, 12 violations, including three serious and significant and four unwarrantable failure findings. The inspection led the agency to issue an imminent danger order, specifically MSHA found, accumulations of float coal dust on two separate conveyor belt lines resulting in two unwarrantable failure orders, inadequate examinations on the same uh, conveyor belt resulting in two more unwarrantable failure orders, inadequate examinations have contributed to serious mine accidents and have been identified as a root cause in several mining fatalities in 2023. MSHA has placed a priority on improving workplace examinations, including the identification, correction, and documentation of hazardous conditions to ensure miners' safety and health. They found two uh, two mines, two miners working for a contractor that were observed on a roof 20 feet above ground wearing safety harnesses that were not tied off as required. MSHA issued an imminent danger order and a related serious and significant citation and withdrew the two miners from the mine. MSHA issued a safety alert in 2023 regarding falls from heights and continues to remind operators and contractors on best practices for preventing falls, such as designing an effective fall prevention and protection program, as well as providing task training. Violations are not just numbers. Each one represent a hazard to miners whose safety, health, and lives are being put at risk needlessly. MSHA will continue to enforce the law while also providing compliance assistance to mine operators so that the mining industry makes progress in reversing the troubling upward trend in fatalities. And just a reminder for our audience on uh, the conservative radio station WVNN here in Huntsville, the Mine Safety and Health Administration is the government agency that Trump appointed a coal executive to head when he was president. And that same coal executive who Trump appointed killed a regulation that would, uh, that would save thousands of coal miners' lives uh, from death by black lung. Hmm. So uh, that's a guy that loves coal miners. Killing, uh, literally responsible for the, for the deaths of thousands of them a year. That's how you know he cares about them. 
Over in Georgia, a federal investigation has, has determined a Cartersville chemical manufacturer could have prevented a 52-year-old leech tank operator from suffering fatal chemical and thermal burns over most of his body in June 2023 by following required safety regulations. Investigators with the U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration determined the chem that chemical products that a chemical products corporation employee on the job just two months opened an air intake valve to inspect a noise coming from a barium sulfide wash cone with a steam line that was left open the day before. A rush of cold air in the steam line created a bubble that pushed up heated sludge onto the worker, causing fatal burns. A second worker suffered second-degree burns across their upper body. Before OSHA concluded the investigation, the agency learned that 25 days after the fatal incident, another employee inspecting a leaking gasket under, under a tank full of sodium hydroxide solution suffered chemical burns when the tank overflowed. The second incident remains under investigation. Our investigation found that Chemical Product Corporation's failure to make employee safety a prior priority allowed conditions that cost a worker his life, said OSHA area Area Office Director Jeffrey Stawawi in Atlanta West. Two serious incidents, just weeks apart, show that the culture at Chemical Products Corporation must change to emphasize worker safety and health. OSHA will continue to monitor and hold the company accountable until there are changes. OSHA cited the company for five serious violations after finding the company did the following. They failed to establish energy control procedures, creating thermal and chemical hazards. They failed to periodically inspect the energy control procedures, at least annually, while employees were tasked with applying lockout-tagout devices. They allowed slip and trip hazards to exist by failing to keep mid-tier catwalks free of, of corrosion. And they exposed employees to entrapment hazards by not clearly marking routes to emergency exits. And they failed to provide readily accessible safety data sheets for hazardous chemicals in the facility. So OSHA has proposed about $55,000 in penalties, an amount set by federal statute. Operating for 90 years, Chemical Products is an inorganic chemical manufacturer that employs about 136 workers. And the company has 15 business days from receipt of their citations and penalties to comply, request an informal conference with OSHA, or contest the findings. So there we go, folks. Um, always, uh, uh, that that's a segment that should always make you mad. It's really... <laughs> It's a lot really of deadly insane. stuff on there. Yeah, it's really insane how much bosses can get away with. Uh, but that is going to be it for us today. We've got a couple of uh, plugs before we wrap up. Uh, as they do each month, our friends at Labor Notes ha are hosting a series of online trainings. If you're looking about how to get involved in your union or in activism in general, definitely check these out. This month, they have Caucus Development Getting Started. That starts on December the 7th. That's, uh, you know, if you're in a union, you feel like you want it to improve and you want to start a reform caucus, how can you get that started? Well, uh, that that's a training to do that. Caucus development getting started on December the 7th. They also have what to do when your union breaks your heart on December the 5th. And uh, later in the month, they have a, a stewards training, Think Like an Organizer. Uh, so you can find out more info at labornotes.org slash events. <clears throat> 
Adam is working with Alabama Arise to develop and host an advocacy training in January in the Huntsville area. Let him know if you're interested and have ideas. Adam may do an Alabama issue preview on Zoom the second week of December if there's enough interest. The Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance is holding its next meeting on December the 5th at the main Huntsville Downtown Library Auditorium at 6 p.m. And uh, there continue to be protests regarding the police killing of Steve Perkins in Decatur. And uh, we've seen protests in Huntsville regarding the violence in Palestine and Congo. And there are groups meeting every month in the area, like North Alabama DSA and the Huntsville Citizens Climate Lobby, that are trying to make a difference. So if you're in the Tennessee Valley and want to get involved, definitely check those places out. And uh, in every union and every labor council, there is always a need for more volunteers wherever you live. So one of the most important things you can do to grow working class power and build a better future is to get involved in your union and or labor council. If you don't have one, now's the time to be talking to your coworkers and assembling organizing committees. Check out our Unions 101 and 201 playlists on our YouTube channel if you'd like to learn more. And as always, feel free to reach out. And if you're in the area and would like to help grow the North Alabama Labor Council, Please reach out. Um, oh, and if you're not on our email list at tvlr.fm, definitely sign up for that to stay up to date on uh, what we're doing, and you will get uh, Last Week in Southern Labor and Boss Watch in your inbox every single week on Mondays and Tuesdays. So definitely check that out, tvlr.fm slash contact to uh, get on those newsletters. That's going to be it for us today. We have a great overtime lined up for you today. We're going to be breaking down the UAW's announcement uh, that they have signed on to the call for a ceasefire in Gaza. We're also going to be talking about uh, contract alignments, a goal that the UAW has set for 2028 and how Minnesota unions are already doing that. We're going to be talking to some reporters about that. We're also going to be breaking down Elon Musk's dumb interview and looking at a U.S. House hearing on the new overtime rule. And if we have time, we're going to take a look at a new, more perfect union video about the defense industry and jobs and whether or not it's actually a good, uh, a good investment. And the, um, the thing there is uh, the, the um, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert is that it's not. Not a good investment, defense industry. A lot of better things that you can spend your money on. So that's going to be it for us today, folks. Uh, find us on Facebook and YouTube to listen to Overtime or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and otherwise, we'll see you next week. All power to the workers. <laughs>